Happy Bitcoin Wednesday, freaks. It's your host, Odell, here for another Citadel Dispatch, the interactive live show focused on actionable Bitcoin and freedom tech discussion. Before we get started, I want to thank all of the listeners who continue to support the show with Bitcoin donations. Dispatch is unique in that we do not have ads. We do not have sponsors. It's made possible solely by donations from our audience. So thank you all for supporting the show. The easiest way to do that is by going to citadeldispatch.com slash donate. That will bring you to our geyser.fund page. You can donate with, via on-chain Bitcoin or lightning Bitcoin. You can attach a message to that donation if you like. You can attach your Twitter account to that donation if you want to climb the leaderboard. There's a public leaderboard there. Um, or you can donate anonymously if you want to donate anonymously. I appreciate all of you who continue to support the show. You can also support the show through Podcasting 2.0 apps, such as Fountain Podcast, Breeze, Wallet, Podverse.fm, EchoLN.com. There's many Podcasting 2.0 apps um, that you can use. You search Citadel Dispatch just like you would on any other podcast app. You click that subscribe button. You choose how many sats per minute you think the show is worth. And that Bitcoin is streamed directly to my node as you listen. It also shows up on the geyser.fund page. Um, so you can climb the leaderboard. You can see all that support. We believe in radical transparency here at Dispatch. So all donations are funneled through that geyser.fund page to my node. Um, and everyone can see how much this show, how, much, how many contributions are coming to the show. So thank you all who continue to support the show. Also, I know it's a recession. I know it's a bear market. If you can't spare sats, uh, you can support the show in many other ways. You can subscribe on your favorite platform. We're on every single platform, whether that's Twitch, YouTube, Rumble, every podcast app, uh, Twitter. Uh, just search Citadel Dispatch. It will be there. Um, share with your friends and family. Leave a review. All these things help. And last but not least, we do have this live chat that gets piped in from our Matrix chat, which you can find at CitadelDispatch.com slash chat. YouTube and Twitch joining us in the live chat really makes this special. Um, you guys are part of the show. Uh, your comments are streamed live and kept in our archives forever. So thank you all who continue to participate. And before we get started, I just want to read the top four boostergrams from last week's episode. Uh, boostergrams are part of podcasting 2.0. You can attach a message with a set amount of Bitcoin. Um, and that kind of looks like a live comment feed where anyone can can read those messages uh, and they're ranked by the amount of Bitcoin that were sent. So I'm going to read the top four, as I always do. We have Rider Die Freak Eric 99 with 50,000 sats saying stay humble, stack sats. Great advice. Thank you, Eric. We have Sirius 37 with 16,000 sats saying hi, Matt. Great show. Great guests every time. Love to listen live. But I live many time zones away in Australia. Keep doing your great work. We have at KRSH with 15,000 sats saying courts sure are looking like a negative sum game. One bad actor can take down the whole company. And then we have at Fat Toshi with 10,001 sats. I'll boost you, but you have to pay the nag tax. I don't think there's humans versus subhumans. Some people behave reprehensibly, but I think that systems turn people against people. I once got a cold call from a scammer. I asked him what he wanted to do when he was a kid. He texted me the next day saying he quit his job and enrolled on a programming course. Yes, I'm bragging, but it's an example of the fact that people can sometimes change always. Well, cheers to that. That's a really good message. And by the way, freaks, I do not read them. 
ahead of time. I kind of just read them live on air. So I appreciate you all. So with all that said, um, I have two great gentlemen joining me today for a very important topic. Um, I was introduced to them last week by a mutual friend. Uh, the story is is compelling. The work they're doing is incredibly interesting. It's not in my typical uh, or the dispatch typical. Uh, it's not the typical show, but it's a very important show. And uh, I, I hope you all enjoy the conversation and hang out here with us. Um, we have Michael and Tor who are leading uh, the defense in the Bitcoin Fog custodial mixer case. So to the freaks that might be new, Bitcoin Fog. Uh, was a very popular custodial Bitcoin mixer that people used for privacy. Um, you would send your Bitcoin to them, to their custodial wallet, and Bitcoin Fog would send you someone else's Bitcoin to try and break the trail of on-chain transactions. Um, and the U.S. government uh, in 2021 uh, arrested someone and charged him with operating uh, the Bitcoin Fog custodial mixer. And we're going to get into the details here, but these two gentlemen are leading uh, his defense in that case. Um, so with all that said, uh, let, I should have introduced each of you individually first. Uh, we have Tor here. How's it going, Tor? Thanks for having us. Um, just for the record, freaks, uh, these guys are lawyers. They're not professional podcast guests. Uh, so we will not have the best sound, but it's a very important conversation. So nonetheless, we are proceeding. And we have Michael here, uh, his associate. How's it going, Michael? Oh, it's going great. Awesome. Um, so where should we get started, guys? Uh, I gave, obviously, I just gave a brief intro. Um, how, how do you guys want to start this conversation? Uh, maybe just give uh, the listeners and everyone a little bit of background on the case and about Roman and uh, why we think it's important and why we think he's innocent. And uh, to sort of sum up everything is basically Roman was an early adopter of Bitcoin he, in Sweden, living in Sweden. He moved to Sweden when he was 14 with his mother from Russia, got into Bitcoin around 2011, started going to Bitcoin meetups all over Europe and got into it and was you know selling you know, Bitcoin at the meetups and the friends and setting up wallets. Um, and then when Bitcoin went through the ceiling, he became a millionaire overnight, not like huge money, like a couple million, right? Um, he's like, okay, I'm going to quit my day job. He's around, I think like 27, 28 right now. I'm going to quit my day job. Uh, I'm just going to live off my Bitcoin uh, and trade. And he does that. He's not making a lot of money. You know, he's doing all right. Um, he starts a business, a VPN business. It goes under. Um, and he decides he wants to become a commercial airline pilot because he's concerned about Bitcoin's volatility, it going up and down. And he needs, he thinks he needs a skill. You know, he's getting older. Right. So he signs up. I'm oh, sorry. No, continue. Sorry. He's, he signs up for a, uh, flight school intensive in California. And now it's 2021. And as he's flying to California, uh, he lands at LAX and the government arrests him at the border. He's 
been in jail for the last two and a half years awaiting trial. Uh, he's been charged with running Bitcoin Fog, the mixer, for 10 years and laundering $334 million worth of uh, illicit Bitcoin funds, except the government's never tied it to a single crime. Um, and when they arrest him at LAX, they catch him with, uh, they arrest him with three laptops, three terabytes with the hard drives. Uh, he's got a bag of all his thumb drives. He has uh, notebooks with his handwritten backup codes in them. You know, he took everything with him. And uh, there's not a shred of evidence on any of that stuff that he ever operated Bitcoin fog. There's not a shred of evidence anywhere in this case that Roman ever operated Bitcoin fog. They're trying to say that he set up, he did the DNS registration right. for Bitcoin fog in 2011 based on this super convoluted blockchain tracing that involves everyone's friend chain analysis. The government doesn't have a single eyewitness to anything. Everything in this case is just forensics. People sitting at a desk like 6,000 miles away from Sweden and making guesses and making really bad guesses. Um, and Mike, I'm going to let you fill in unless I doubt you got any questions. I'm going to um, let Mike go for it, Mike. A little bit on this because it's a crazy. Yeah, case. So this, this case originally came to us through a friend of mine out in Cape Cod, his cousin who was the guy getting arrested, his cousin's Roman. And at first we, we didn't know what to make of the case. You know, We saw all the evidence that the government had against him and the nature of it, and we didn't take a close look at it. And it sounded all serious and really important. It sound, they sounded pretty confident. And uh, we made a deal to go down and uh, talk to Roman and we were gonna feel him out. And I'd, originally we thought we were gonna take this toward the plea. So we go down to uh, rural Virginia where he's been incarcerated pre-trial for over two years now. And uh, within five minutes of speaking with him, the first thing that comes to mind is that we realize that the guy's innocent. He's completely, completely innocent. He didn't, he did not operate Bitcoin fog. He did not create Bitcoin fog. And he's been caught up in this case. And a major reason why he's been caught up in this case was due to the faulty digital forensics that have been given to the government by Chainalysis. And it's terrible because not only is he innocent, but the entire process is going in the right. real person who set it up is still out there and uh right yeah it's uh, it's something else it's, it's crazy it's a crazy case so um yeah so i let's let's jump into 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 what evidence is being used um what evidence is being used against him it sounds like um it sounds like it's it's two sided, right? There's there's basically two key pieces of evidence. It's um, a, that that he bought the domain is what they're saying, and and that involves chain analysis, but also um, that his Bitcoin is is specifically connected to Bitcoin Fog, and that also involves chain analysis. Is that the two main pieces of evidence that that this exactly. whole case rests on? Exactly, and the connections that they make between between Roman and, and the creation of the website are, are weak, very, very weak. They have this convoluted string of transactions that the government alleges uh, Roman conducted in order to fund the hosting of BitcoinFog.com, which is the ClearNet site. Not, it's not even the Tor network site that the 
that the Bitcoin fog ran on. It's completely the clearnet site. All it did was forwarded a link to the Tor network. And so even that in and of itself is completely legal. So we, we haven't been able to come across anything, any law that he's broken through any of his conduct whatsoever. And the thing about the DNS registration, first of all, uh, it's completely legal to do. So even if he did do it, he didn't do anything illegal. It was in, they claim it was in 2011. The statute of limitations on all these crimes is five years. It's, they just claim that he registered, you know, the domain name. There's no claim or any evidence that he even set up, you know, put up a, the ClearNet website. They're um, using Chainalysis Reactor to say that he took money from his Mount Gox account at the time and uh, mixed it and moved it to hide the transaction that he was paying for the DNS registration, which was like something like 72 bucks. They ignore the fact that the DNS registration has since been uh, renewed twice, right? Um, they're making attributions to him based on IP addresses uh, linked with other emails that were used to register the DNS and also get an account on, what is it, Bitcoin, uh, was it Bitcoin Talk Forum? Yeah, uh, yes. Where one of the alleged founders, the Happy New Year guy, I can never say his name in Japanese. Akamashenti Omadetu was his handle. Happy excellent, New Year Mike, excellent. I will get that before trial. I swear to God, I will get that before <laughs> trial. But uh, so they say, based on, uh, the email address is linked to those accounts, the Bitcoin Talk uh, uh, account and the uh, DNS registration. They say that that's traced back to Roman. But the big problem that they have is when they executed a search mail on Hotmail, because this uh, account was uh, shortmint at hotmail.com, right? Uh, somebody else's name, a real person, his name is registered to that account. And that person, I'm not going to name him right now, um, is all over the discovery. And we can't figure out why they drop this guy like there's evidence all over the place pointing to other people there's none showing that he ever operated uh bitcoin fog the only tracing that they have he was a user he completely admits being a user and even chain analysis says that 90 percent of users of mixers are doing it for privacy and security concerns but um so he, what he did is he took money from his freaking paycheck bought bitcoin then somebody told him he should use a mixer for privacy and security reasons. So he mixes it through um, Bitcoin Fog and then puts it in Kraken. Now, if you are a mastermind criminal running a Bitcoin mixer and laundering $330 million in drug money, would you put your, your, your money in a Kraken KYC account that you put your passport photo on and your real name, it makes no sense. And then when you start to look at these account transactions, they're routine transactions. They're trying to say that they're the royalty payments that he got from the mixer was being deposited in his Kraken account. How come he doesn't have like $250 million, right? Like the, his total net worth at the time when uh, Bitcoin was high was a little bit south of $2 million. Now, you know, the government seizes his money, the market crashes, whatever. It's at like 800 now, you know, going back up again. But everywhere you turn in this case, nothing makes sense. And there is not a single piece of direct evidence, not one. There's no eyewitnesses. 
that say, oh, we overheard him in a bar talking about this. There's no, they've charged him with conspiracy and they haven't named a single co-conspirator and there's no uh, communications. There's like nothing, there's like nothing. And we had him on the stand because they seized all his money. We were trying to unfreeze the assets. Uh, and, um, you know, we pointed out, we put him on the stand. Everyone's like, you're crazy. We're like, no, he's innocent. Go ahead, ask him anything you want, right? And they got nowhere with him. At, at one point, we pointed out they didn't do any investigation into his life, his family, or anything in Sweden. And the government got flustered on the cross-examination. At one point, said to him, tell us who your friends are. Tell us who your friends are. Okay, <laughs> this is after seven years of a multi-million dollar investigation. And it happens to be one of Chain Alice's first investigations. And one of the cases that they used to build the relationship with DOJ which is translated into a $330 million revenue stream, right? You see it all over this case. One of the prosecutors from the case is now the senior legal advisor for Chainalysis. The IRS investigator starts a private company while he's working for the IRS for tax, you know, taxpayer salary. He starts a private company called Exigent LLC. When Roman is arrested at LAX, there's an instantaneous press release, right? But before the press release, actually, there's a Wired article. And our friend Jonathan Levin from Chainalysis is in the Wired article, very shrewdly not saying, oh, Chainalysis worked on this case, even though they're all over this case, right? Saying this proves that this kind of blockchain forensics works. Two weeks, a couple weeks later, they raised $100 million in a private fundraising run. And you can, you can look at their DOJ press releases and, and, and correlate them with their fundraising round. So getting back to this private company started by somebody working for the public, on the DOJ press release, which comes out right after the Wired exclusive, because it turns out they've been talking to the press for a couple years. And this case is in, if you know Andy Greenbrook's book, uh, uh, Tracers in the Dark, you can yep, look up the moment in this case, right? Of course, one thing they didn't understand or count on was I know Andy very, very well. And so I found out, anyhow, that's in a whole other freaking freaking story. So Exigent gets top billing in the DOJ press release for Roman's arrest before everyone else, you know, U.S. Attorney's Office that helped, FBI agents, Swedish government, like Exigent LLC. We could not have done it without Exigent LLC. Five months later, Chainalysis buys Exigent LLC for an undisclosed sum. And now it has like a $10 million plus revenue stream from DOJ. What you have here is you know, I think there's a bunch of people going around like, Whoa, let's throw Roman in jail. You, but you've got like a careerism and a profit motive that's uh, creating confirmation bias. And we have emails in the discovery that you've got people going, gosh, you know, you know, this might not be right. I, I would hate to think uh, the, of the implications if, if we got this wrong. And then you see them go right back to, you, you, you know, their thing. And they thought that when they popped Roman, at the airport and they got all those lap laptops and computers that they, they had, right? Not a trace. Right. I've been doing computer crime law for a decade. I have never had a case where somebody was so good, so good that they didn't leave a trace of what they were doing on their laptop or in their notebooks or on their thumb drives. They put him, I could go on, they put him under surveillance when he came to the States in 2017. They had him under physical surveillance, very expensive. They had a wiretap going on. And they had what's called a pen trap, which just holds your... You know what they found in there that uh, was evidence of him operating Bitcoin fog? Nothing. 
right? So then they go to seize his servers, which are Romania. They're like, oh my God, Romanian servers, right? Remember how I was talking about that uh, failed business he had? One of the things he tried to do was start a VPN business. So they seize the Romanian servers. I, you, you know, every other crypto prosecution, most of them don't go to trial. This is the first case where this is ever being challenged, this kind of forensic uh, you know, analysis at trial. They've seized the servers, right? Or there's some corroborating evidence. They caught Ross in the airport, uh, not the airport, the library, with his laptop open, right? Open to the admin page of Silk Road, right? Allegedly. Allegedly, right, allegedly, right, right. I'm not, <laughs> believe me, I'm not. <laughs> but but um, they, they just, they get a service, nothing on, nothing. They got no service, they got no logs. Uh, chain access, we, we subpoenaed the receipt. It's like they, they found out that he was taking a show of, Give like they found out that he was taking a flight and somebody made a call and they're like, Roman's coming, like, are we going to do it or we're not going to do it? And somebody was a little overzealous. They were trapped in this, uh, the profit mindset that distorts justice in this case. And somebody made a call to arrest him off the plane. So um, the, the reason the, the Bitcoin talk uh, connection is highly relevant um, even though it sounds like this connection is is weak, if not completely bogus, uh, is because just for context for the audience, like the main place that Bitcoin Fog was advertised was on Bitcoin Talk. Like there was a lot of people that had Bitcoin Fog signatures and was like, join, use use Bitcoin Fog for privacy. And, and there was a lot of honest users, in, you know, completely law abiding users that were using it for Bitcoin privacy. Um Apparently, I mean, from what you just said, Roman admits himself that he was one of these users. Um, and if if I followed correctly, um, it was basically to try and have some semblance of transactional privacy before he deposited into Kraken. So he had this Bitcoin, he was depositing Kraken. And at the time, we didn't have collaborative transaction tools like CoinJoin. The privacy best practice was to use a custodial mixer like Bitcoin Fog before you deposit into Kraken. And there's many such cases of people doing that. There's that thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that have done exactly that same exact behavior. And that sounds like Roman has admitted to, to doing that part, right? He did. And what's fantastic is that when we went to, to the hearing in D.C. a couple of weeks ago to try to get the funds released to pay for this case, the, the judge actually came out in his decision and said mixing per se is not illegal. What the government's trying to tie him through to the Bitcoin uh, talk form records is that this Akimasheti Omadetu, the, the individual who is related to the email address that registered the Bitcoin fog uh, clearnet website, the, the person who did ships with darknet marketplaces and, and trumpeting Bitcoin fog as as a you know, good way to hide money that you're dealing with with uh, the drug marketplaces. So the government uses all that is accusations and complaint against Roman, trying to use these uh, misdistributed Bitcoin talk or Bitcoin talk form records to associate Bitcoin fog with web marketplaces. Right. We've seen that they, we've seen them do that in the past too. Mm -hmm. um, it's very Except common. for the attribution is completely incorrect. Right. I mean, we, I, we don't know if they were correct or not in these other cases either. And it, it's pretty um, funny that the, the connection that the, they make in the complaint 
you know, you have a, you have Liberty Reserve dollars, which is a Costa Rican bank at the time that was uh, well used for turning Bitcoin in, into US dollars to be able to spend on the internet. So it's a Liberty Reserve account that makes the payment for the website. And they try to trace it, you know, using Chainalysis Reactor software. And they trace it back and they're trying to relate it to Roman's legitimate Mt. Gox account. But the first transaction going out of Roman's legitimate Mt. Gox account with his KYC records to the first uh, in the series of transactions that led to the Bitcoin.fog.com registration, they have a huge question mark in the complaint, in their graphic that they make. They don't know if, and they can't prove that there's any connection back from that line of transactions to Roman himself, even though they're going around saying it like it's the truth. It, it, it's honestly ridiculous. And my favorite on that front, and there's a lot of favorites in this case, is if you look in the superseding indictment, which is basically like the, the last indictment they issued, they have a asset forfeiture allegation, which means they want to seize all money associated with these wallet addresses. So they have this wallet address all the way at the end, and they say there's about 1,100, 1,200 Bitcoin in it. So, you know, we look up the wallet address. I'm not a you know, blockchain forensic expert, but that you know, we can do that. Zero zero Bitcoin in it, no transactions since 2011. And we say this to them and they're like, oh no, we have got some secret, you know, code formula that where we know and everything is, it's in a cluster. Now they do a lot of cluster analysis in this case and um, it leads to predictable cluster results. And one of the things we've learned coming in on, on this wonderful world of blockchain forensics, this brave new world, is that it uh, involves something called heuristics, which is my understanding is the Greek word for guessing. Okay, so we're now guessing that clusters of wallet addresses or a wallet is a cluster and all these people are associated with it. But another thing we've noticed is that when we go across forensics platforms, the cluster attributions uh, don't sync up. Like one will say Coinbase, uh, you go to another platform, it's like whatever, right? There's no objective standards when it comes to blockchain forensics. And that's very dangerous because it creates exactly what's happening here. The Roman could be any one of you. Just picture yourself, you've, you've been, you know, whatever, in Bitcoin for years or whatever and you're getting off an airplane in the united states and they arrest you and they charge you with crimes that uh have carry a sentence of 50 years to life you are kept in a jail cell before trial um and they take all your money and you know you go through a couple federal defenders and then somehow we show up right but um you know this is a really disturbing case. It's also, I think, very important as a matter of computer law because there's um, a bunch of, as we'd say in our profession, matters of first impression. Most blockchain prosecutions plea out, just like most things do in the federal criminal system. 90% of cases in the federal criminal system, they take a plea. The other 8% go to trial. Uh, no, the other 8% get dismissed. Uh, uh, 2% go to trial. And of those 2%, there's an acquittal rate of less than 1%. To me, that's a red system. Um, I, and I've been inside it 10 years, you know. Um, but he can't take a deal because he doesn't know anything. And he'd have to lie. 
So he's in this situation. A lot of a reason a lot of innocent people take a plea, right, is because they can't afford to go up against, uh, you know, DOJ's got $42 billion budget, unlimited resources. They just were spending money on this case for years. It's like starts out as this pet project of an FBI agent in Philadelphia at the Russia desk, the National Security Division, who then decides to go to Georgetown Law School in D.C. So she transfers the case to D.C. In case she becomes um, she 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 transferred to D.C., becomes graduates law school, becomes a lawyer, then becomes a prosecutor on this case. That's a problem because she's also a material fact witness and we've subpoenaed her and you can't be a uh, represent a party in a case that you're a material fact witness in. But now they're telling us, oh, no, 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 right? But why else are we in Washington, D.C.? And this is another really scary thing about this case that people should be concerned about. Roman Sterlingoff lived in Gothenburg, Sweden. At no point did he, has he ever set foot before this prosecution in Washington, D.C. He has no friends in Washington, D.C. He has no family in Washington, D.C. He has never done a bit of business in Washington, D.C. in his life. The only reason we are in Washington, D.C. is because some IRS agents decided, you know, oh, gosh, this case has been going on for a long time or, or whatever. I don't know what the conversation is. But they decide that they're going to do a sting operation on uh, Bitcoin fog, right? So they're in D.C. and they send a message to, like, the Bitcoin fog help desk. Hi. Um, we'd like to launder some illegal drug money. Uh, we just sold some Molly. Is Bitcoin Fog a, a good mixing site to, you know, mix our illegal funds? No answer, right? They mix some government money and put it back in their account. That's the entire basis for federal criminal jurisdiction venue in Washington, D.C. There was no answer. Okay. From the help, no, no answer, answer, nothing. We don't know if there's any counterparty on the other side, but they said I mean, because who the fuck would answer that anyway? But yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, fucking like, insane. What? They're turning it into a strict liability crime. Yeah, yeah. There's like no state, and if that's right, any prosecutor sitting at a desk anywhere in the United States can drag you to any federal court anywhere just by sitting at their laptop, and that the United States Constitution says you have to have. The, the, the federal jury trial. Everyone's like, this is technicality, but this is like, I think it's brilliant. It makes sense to me. You have to have the trial where the crime happened. It's called the venue clause. Because what happened in the American Revolution is the British crown would arrest US, you know, American revolutionaries and take them to London for a jury trial. Now, a jury in London is very, very different than a jury in Philadelphia in colonial America. Here, there's not even a piece of evidence that any crime occurred in D.C. except the one they say happened, which is the government mixing money, which I'm not even convinced is a crime because uh, it's there's the government holding on to illegal drug money that they're now mixing. I, I like and when we first got this, we thought, oh, OK, entrapment. Right. I look at the entrapment and then I realize, oh, my God, wait, this is a problem here. Entrapment's an affirmative defense. It has to go to the mental state of the defendant. The entrapment defense is saying Oh, yeah, I did have the requisite mental state to commit the crime, but the government coerced me into it. Then I realized the problem is we don't have anybody with a mental state on the other side, right? And what Mike was getting at when he was saying it's a strict liability thing, and this is a little technical, but it's another scary aspect of this crime. They're erasing what they call the mens rea intent requirement uh, here requirement. in this case. And I see this, yeah, the guilty mind. Mens rea means guilty mind in Latin, right? Uh, they're taking that out of the equation, and that's been in our criminal law for centuries. And when you remove that 
and I see it happening in other computer cases that you're trying to do in other computer cases too. When you remove that, you just removed one of the most important elements in a, that protects the innocent from abusive prosecutions. I mean, so there's a lot, there's a lot of troubling shit here. Um, and there's a lot to unpack here. Um, to go back, uh, on, on the chain analysis side. Um, so I do a lot of work on Bitcoin privacy, best practices and on chain forensics and, um, tracking Bitcoin. Um, and to be clear, like the, I, I think you nailed it, but the, the word they use is heuristics um, and they use the word probability analysis, right? So this idea that with Bitcoin, unlike something like Venmo, uh, Venmo, I can't send money to myself. It just was like, that's ridiculous. Why would you want to send money to yourself? But with Bitcoin, you can send money to yourself. Um, so a, a tracking company's quote unquote job, a surveillance company's quote unquote job is to try and figure out what the probability of uh, of a transaction is is changing hands between ownership and, and trying to track where that ownership change happens and who has the new ownership. And it's purely a guessing game. That's why it's called probability analysis. It's, you know, it's what is the probability that this has changed hands? And then they try and cluster it among owners um, using those heuristics and that probability analysis. They say, okay, this is the Odell cluster. This is the Coinbase cluster. This is the Mt. Gox cluster. Um, so when so and and this seems completely apparent to me from what you've said that chain analysis is essentially using this as a fundraising tool and a um, as a way to kind of show credibility to to what is uh, a faulty product, a product that is 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 solely based on probability analysis and solely based on guesses and doesn't have any concrete answers. And as a result uh, of that situation, um, you have you have what amounts to vague evidence that can then be placed however you kind of want to make the perspective be placed. And you can, and you can basically insinuate guilt on someone who might not be guilty in that situation. And that applies to all Bitcoiners, uh, regardless of if they're committing a crime or not committing a crime. Now, I'm curious when chain analysis submits this bullshit analysis, their, their report or whatever with the clusters and, and whatnot, um, what, what do you guys get to see? Like, what does the defense get to see? What does the, the, the person who's being charged get to see? Is there any, you know, there's other competing surveillance companies that are constantly competing. Are they involved in the court case? Do you see like elliptics version of the events? Do you see chain analysis version of events? Do you see Coinbase's, uh, in, in Coinbase surveillance, whatever they fucking call it. They have their own product. There's a bunch of different products. Do you see all these other ones as well? What do you see from the chain analysis side? Like, let's go into that a little bit. Now, it's interesting that you say elliptic because the IRS agent who created the exigent company that Tor was mentioning earlier, he actually worked for elliptic before he started working for the IRS. And from what we can understand is that the, the software developed by exigent seems to be very similar to the, to the software that was used by elliptic. So I think on their side, there's some conflict between them on that front. But we, we've run and we've just been stonewalled everywhere we've gone. We want to look at the code, the chain analysis reactor code that was able to identify these clusters so that we can troubleshoot them, have our own experts come in and look at them and make a compelling argument as to why they're incorrect. But the government and chain analysis have refused to disclose that to us. And we're in a, in a battle with the court right now over whether it needs to be disclosed. 
separate from the code that we're requesting. We want to look at the input data sets that they put in to the Chainalysis Reactor code, because we have reason to believe that those data sets are incorrect. And this goes back to uh, the Mount Gox records that are included in part of this, uh, this case. The original uh, IP matching that the government says uh, that whoever created the BitcoinFog.com uh, ClearNet website, that they that IP was matched with IP that Roman used to log into his uh, KYC Mount Gox account back in 2014, 2014-2013. Now, uh, the records that they're relying upon, and this is public information from Andy Greenberg's book, it's on pages 104-105 of the book, it talks about the, uh, the Mt. Gox hack and how after losing the uh, $400 million roughly of what, of what Mt. Gox lost in the hack, somebody steps up and says, hey, I can trace this. And it's this guy, Michael Groninger, trying to create this company, Chainalysis, and Chainalysis was built on trying to identify the perpetrators of the Mt. Gox hack. And there's, there's an anecdote in the book where uh, Michael Groninger goes to Mark Karpilis, the CEO at the time of Mt. Gox, and says, hey, can I have all your data? Mark Karpilis gives him an, an encrypted hard drive. And M Michael Groninger comes back and says, there's all the information that's mixed up on records, like what happened here. And Mark Karpilis suggests that it's possible that there was also a physical hack of the Mt. Gox servers and that they messed with all the data. So, and they didn't have any backup. He admits to not having any backup for the Mt. Gox records. So these records that the government is using in Roman's case are the same records that uh, Michael Groninger was given uh, at that early time during the Mt. Gox hack to try to figure it out. And they're completely incorrect. And we can show they're incorrect. Like when we take a transaction ID and we put it into a blockchain review program, it does all the transaction IDs are mixed up. Some of the wallets don't exist. Other ones do exist. There's some transactions that are on the public blockchain, but it's all mixed up and, and unreadable and unreliable. And one of my favorite things, go back to Mark Pallas, or Pallas, however you say his name, for the founder the Gibbot Gok, um, is that he was convicted and sentenced in Japan to, um, has my button going? You're breaking up a little bit, Tor. Yeah, my, my mute button is going crazy. It's was just, your computer yeah. like dying on you? Uh, it's my uh, Bluetooth headset, uh, keyboard, I think. Can you hear me now? We can hear oh, you yeah. now. There you go. Yeah, fuck yeah, that I keyboard. Yeah, I think I pressed... Yeah, fuck that keyboard. I turned it off. Um, <laughs> going back to Mark Capellas, one of my favorite things is that, Mike, uh, there's so much stuff in this case. Like, every corner you turn to, there's something interesting. So Mark Capellas, or Capellas, whatever you say his name, right, who provides the source data pointed out for Gokox, where they're doing this IP address um, attributions and everything. Um, he's convicted in Japan and sentenced to four years in jail for, wait for it, falsifying Mt. Gox data. Okay. Yep. So that answers one question about what, like, what the source is like. And, and like Mike's right, they've been stonewalling us on stuff. Spreadsheets that don't have the original data on it. There's indications with the investigators expressing doubt and then kind of looking away. And you also see a lot of people, because it sprawls over seven years, you see people coming in and out and not really giving a shit, right? Like close enough for government work. There's typos in wallet addresses and, you know, um, 
the whole thing. Finch yeah, I mean, says it's Tor must be getting DDoS, but I think that's just my shitty Spectrum internet. Um, it was a nice, anyhow. it was a nice pun because Tor, the Tor, the privacy service is getting DDoS constantly for like the last seven months. Um, the it's Finch my real name. It's my real fucking name. I, I thought I thought you, you changed know. it to be on brand, uh, so I'm glad we got that out. Of the uh, way. Uh, <laughs> wait, so so just to be clear, in Bitcoin circles, um, like we know we can't trust any of the Mt. Gox data. We know that he was completely incompetent, if not straight up fraudulent. Um, we know he lied many times, uh, at least at at the very least about the scope of of the situation and operated it. Uh, insolvent for a while if, if he didn't actually steal the money himself. Um, but what you're saying is the data from Mt. Gox is basically the seed data for starting chain analysis. And I, I and just to even go even further than that, something we talk about on the show a lot is the danger of, of KYC and regulated services in that these services are essentially providing the data sets that are used in all of these different tools. Uh, when they're trying to connect all these clusters and whatnot, it's IP addresses, it's transaction IDs, it's names, um, it's home addresses, all connected from all these different exchanges. Some of them are shadier than others. You know, there's no real checks on the credibility of those services. Sometimes people might be using uh, stolen identities uh, even in, in these situations, and they're all kind of inputted directly in. But I had never known until I spoke to you guys that Mt. Gox was essentially that data set was this. It was the seed data set for chain analysis is beginning. Yeah, it's uh, and that's in Andy's book, you know, Tracers in the Dark. And it, there was only one data set. I mean, Groninger asks, is there a backup? And this is like, no. And by the way, Mark Capels has been seems to have been working with the United States government now for years. And as far as we know, is still working with the United States government. And I am of the opinion that there is more evidence that he ran Bitcoin fog than um, Roman ever did. Roman doesn't even have coding sites, something like that. Like, like he, it's, there's this huge cultural disconnect between the world and the investigators that they have these really kind of uh, like naive view of the culture and the world and all this stuff that's normal in the culture, uh, you know, Bitcoin culture is like exotic and foreign to them. And, you know, they have this psychology and I think that's one of the harder things to deal with in this case is these entrenched psychologies where you know, Bitcoin is evil, it's mysterious and only criminals use it. And um, it, it's, it, it's, it's fucked up because Criminal prosecution should be based on logic and rationality, and there's a, a really deep, deep vein of irrationality and superstition running through this case. You know, darknet, boo. It becomes right. very obvious language they use throughout the prosecution. You know, darknet, and repeatedly saying things in, in ways that make them look a lot worse. Than, you know the xenophobia coming out of DOJ and the fact that he's sitting in prison right now rather than being able to prepare for his trial personally with us in New York City. He's sitting there in part because he, when he was arrested, he had four passports. And when the judge is deciding and the court's deciding whether or not they're going to lock somebody up pre-trial, it comes down to whether A, if you're a threat to the community, 
if you're wild, you're going to hurt somebody, or B, if you're at risk of flight, if you're going to go to a foreign country, if you're going to run away. And for the justification of flight, which is why he's currently in prison, uh, incarcerated pretrial, they used the fact that he had four passports. Nobody could get over the fact that there were four passports. They must be fake. But of course, he was born in Russia. He moves to Sweden with his mother when he's 14, basically lives in Sweden uh, his whole adult life. So Russia has two passports. They have one for traveling internally within Russia and a separate passport for Russians to travel internationally. And then Sweden, they're pretty internationally oriented. So they give you a passport as well as a backup passport in the case the first one gets stolen or you go to a country that another country is not going to allow you in if they see the stamp. So he had four legitimate government issued passports and somehow that still becomes like the dark net, some idea, some negative idea, all these negative connotations that, oh, you got four passports, you must be a crazy cyber criminal. And you see that in the government's pleadings, the xenophobia and this, this confirmation bias, just, it bleeds through their entire prosecution. Yeah, I mean, that's fucked up. So, I mean, just to go back to the chain analysis stuff. So what do you actually get? Do you get like, just like a flow chart? Like, are you getting like a PDF that's just like, this is Roman operating Bitcoin fog. Like what, like, what are you, are you getting uh, an anime? Like, what are you getting? Yeah, well, we're getting, we're not getting much. You know, we thought that we'd be getting Excel files. We're going to be getting uh, videos and stuff. They have these convoluted, uh, like flowchart maps that they use making XMind or something like that. And they just have, incomplete wallet addresses pointing to other incomplete wallet addresses. They're, they're pointing to clusters that have short firm shorted names that you can't look up without the Chainalysis Reactor software. They're not showing any of the math or any, if you use something like, like breadcrumbs.app, that's a great uh, software tracing tool. And uh, shout out to them. We work with the CEO a little bit on this case and they're a great program. But um, on that, you can see where the money's flowing from one wallet address into another one, or if there's a coin join going on, they don't have any of that depth to their analysis or presentation of the data that they suggest was used against Roman. In fact, some of the their biggest stuff that they keep putting everywhere and posting up and putting in their complaint and their superseding indictment, like I mentioned earlier, it has Roman's Mt. Gox wallet, then a huge question mark, and then a series of transactions that were used to pay for the bitcoinfog.com clearnet site. So the connection to Roman is absolutely nil. It really looks like they, they found that, that IP match between the Mt. Gox account, which came from these um, inadequate, in my opinion, uh, Mt. Gox records, and the IP address used to register the ClearNet site. They got that early on in the investigation, and I don't think they ever stopped looking away from Roman, even though as they continue to build the investigation, we can see that it becomes very clear that Roman didn't do what he's being accused of. And that instead it appears that there's this other actor or actors who, who more likely were the perpetrators. Did they give you, do they give you access to the chain analysis reactor software? Like, can you use the no. software? I'm not no. talking about source code or anything like. No, we can't. No. They want us to buy it. They say it's proprietary. We have to give the money to use it. Well, they don't even sell it to anyone. Like, you have to like talk to their customer support and like have them approve you to sell it. Like, it's, it's not even something money can buy, in my understanding of it. It's like they only have approved clients. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. You know, we we have no access. It's almost like uh, the wizard hanging out behind the curtain, 
telling us, so oh, Roman's up. guilty. Roman's guilty. We're like, okay, let's take a look at the software that you're using. Let's take a look at the source code and the input data that you're using to reach this conclusion. Uh, you can't look at that. That's proprietary software. We're not going to give this to you. And DOJ is backing them up. DOJ is supporting them. They're supporting one another. It's, it's, it's incredibly terrible. Meanwhile, we have an innocent person sitting in prison facing 50 to life. And they could literally, they could, they could have done the same exact thing to pretty much any Bitcoin fog user. They could have probably Anybody. done it to any Bitcoin user. Like if someone had Anybody. transacted with someone who was a Bitcoin fog user, they probably could have pinned it on them too if they wanted to. And that was it was really interesting uh, when we went to the hearing in DC on our motion to release the seized funds because not only did they lock him up, of course they took all of his money, so he can't defend himself. We're going into debt, yeah. going heavily in the red, trying to fund this defense. And so we're over there, and the, we're able to establish in some ways, especially by putting him on the stand, that there's a lot of doubt in the government's case. But the standard to release the funds is that uh, is only that of proper to keep the funds is only based on that of probable cause. So the fact that there was a grand jury indictment against Roman meant that there was already a finding of probable cause, which typically probable cause is the standard used to make an arrest. In this case, it's the standard used to for the government to maintain control of all the seized funds, which that in and of itself is, is pretty difficult to deal with. But even though we were denied access to the funds, there was the positive element that came out where the judge does appear to have seen what, or Roman come out on the stand, which is very rare for defendants to come out on the stand. Typically, you're going to want to advise your clients, uh, you know, maybe if, you, if you're on the stand, something could come out. But here we're not worried at all about anything coming out. And I think the judge understands that. In his order, it was the first time that any Article Three judge has specifically articulated that mixing in and of itself is not illegal. Being a user of, of a service like Bitcoin Fog is not illegal. And that's big because we, we've been trying to find a statement from that in a different Article Three judge this whole case. And this is the first one that we've been able to, to get out. Uh, we were looking so I'm at not AI. a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer, Michael. Um, like, does that is just does that like hold up now? Is that like official precedent? Like, how does <laughs> a user of a mixer can it, can someone still be charged for using a mixer in the future? Obviously, that's not what this case is. I, I think they're I think they're indicating that they're not going after users. You know, they're they're going after they're targeting the Bitcoin fog operator and they're the. What they're bringing out in this prosecution is they're trying to tie it to the drug marketplaces. And then they're saying that all of the money that went through Bitcoin Fog uh, is tied to drug marketplaces. And that's counterintuitive right. and counter what, counter what uh, Chainalysis has even come out saying that 90 plus percent of all the money going through Bitcoin mixers was used for legal purposes. We're just people trying to secure their own private funds. They recognize that, but then they come out on the other side and they're supporting this prosecution. And the prosecutors, when we brought that up, they had a difficult time combating that at the hearing. Yeah, I mean, Chain Analysis literally has reports where they're saying the majority is an illicit activity, which yeah. is it was interesting that they yeah. would even admit that because they seem pretty corrupt. So um, mm -hmm. I don't know why they maybe they admit that because they need Bitcoin to not just be straight up illegal. They 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 need to mm -hmm. be able to pin individuals with their tools. Um, and uh also, that's the justification for the statute of limitations not lapsing. So they're saying that because Bitcoin Fog was still in operation and it was continuing to launder money for these darknet drug marketplaces, 
therefore the conduct, even though the only conduct that they could even like partially even accused of being Roman, which is the setting up of the website 10 years ago, they're saying that it's a continuous course of conduct and that it's been going on for 10 plus years. And that because the conduct is continuing in within the statute of limitations, that the prosecution is legitimate. We completely disagree with that. When did, uh, when did Bitcoin Fog actually stop functioning? Do you know? It, it's still functioning. The government it's alleges still up that right it, now? The government alleges that it stopped, it stopped operating once they arrested Roman. But you can go to the Bitcoin Fog Tornet website and you can create an account and you can send your money through and it works. So for the government to say that is, is ridiculous. So what the fuck? That's, that's even more ridiculous. Yeah, and buried like, the lead like, on that one. We're fifty-five minutes into the fucking conversation. So it's still working, operating right it's now. Still the guy's working. been it's in jail up. for two years. It's still up. Yeah, and and the the uh, the Tornet address nodes have been have been changed since then. So somebody's been working on it while Roman's been locked in prison. Right. Damn. Fuck. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. And we are talking about the. Uh, the heuristics and Chainalysis Reactor yeah. legitimizing itself because, like you mentioned, the, the clusters can be identified differently based on which programs and which groups uh, and companies are doing the clustering. They actually had, a, and I think that this is an effort to defeat us in a, in a Daubert challenge for which we're going to have a hearing on June 16th of this year. And Daubert challenges on the scientific legitimacy of the methods used in the digital analysis. They actually went to Sarah Mikkelson, who's the leader in this kind of research. She's a professor in England. And her students, particularly one George Kapos, who's a con contractor for Chainalysis, to do an investigation into the data sets used in Chainalysis' uh, analysis of this case. So they have a whole white paper on the analysis of Bitcoin fog and the heuristics used and the input data sets and the clustering methodologies. And they drew the conclusion that it can't be 100% correct. That's more or less a guess that, it, that there's a, a wide margin for error. And then they went and presented that at the Usenix Security Symposium in Boston in August of last year. And that's a big one, too. But I think they're going to come back and, and try to use that as justification for that they have some kind of scientific review of it. And that even though it's not 100 percent accurate, that it can be used to point you in the right direction. We don't we disagree. We don't think that's good enough for this kind of digital forensics. Um, so, I mean, I assume like one of the main priorities of this case or, or one of your main priorities is, um, highlight the illegitimacy of this as evidence in the first place altogether. Yeah. And then also like try and open the black box that is chain analysis, right? Like this, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. is there any precedent there and, and any other kind of evidence where like the defense doesn't have, have any idea like how it works we haven't found anything like this in the in blockchain analysis you know like Tor was mentioning earlier all of the previous uh blockchain cases they go to a plea you know they're not being challenged at trial in the same way that this case is because ultimately the people who are being accused probably did it and they're trying to find the best deal that they can get whereas with roman he's 100 percent innocent and we're taking tooth and nail we're fighting for him in trial which hasn't been done before and uh, when you talk about the analysis, it's interesting that there's a, a book by Chris Fabricant, who's with the Innocence Project called Junk Science. And it discusses how new types of digital forensic that come out 
often lead to uh, wrongful convictions. And that's a big part of what the Innocence Project does. So we've been working with them a little bit. They're great. And Chris Fabricant's book, John Science, he talks about how when fingerprint analysis first came out and the people who were analyzing fingerprints, you know, they would find a fingerprint that looks similar to the one that was found on the murder weapon or something. And they'd come in as an expert opinion and say, the fingerprints matched when they may not have. And they led to serious amount of wrongful convictions. And this pattern happens every time there's a new development in digital forensics. This happened with hair follicle analysis, dental record analysis, even DNA analysis. So I think that this development in blockchain forensics is part of that same thread in the development of digital forensics in the court. So there is some hope there. Right? I think there's a lot of hope there. I think there's a lot of hope for Roma. Yeah, I think there's a lot of hope for them too. I mean, it's not, it's an uphill battle. You know the statistics, but this is a, a very unusual case. And um, one thing about it, like you can tell, it's kind of when you get a big important case like this, one of the earmarks of a case like that is that everywhere you turn, there's a big constitutional issue for appeal. Like just the question of why we are in Washington, D.C. Um, implicates the Constitution's venue clauses. Um, there's important questions of mens rea and attribution. There's huge evidentiary battles about the authenticity, like we talked about the Mount Gox data. And as I'm sure, you know, as Mike was pointing out, there's no objective standards for this kind of analysis. And there's all, there's a bunch of people making money off of this. And that, that, that's what Chris Fabricant's book talks about, is how you get a new forensic field. Everybody rushes in to make money. There's no standards. Um, but, you know, the government money, that's a spigot of money. That's a huge chunk of money. And it's this, the, you know, Chainalysis's uh, relationship with law enforcement, particularly the UK Serious Crimes Office and the United States Department of Justice is really how it goes from, at the beginning of this case, a company with no market valuation, really, to one now with a market cap of $8.6 billion dollars. And they do that by networking and ver working very intimately with the government investigators. And this case tells that story and you see it happening. And now that we're calling them out on it, and we're issuing subpoenas, they're refusing to show us anything. But listen, man, if you wanna put somebody in jail for 50 to life based on your commercial proprietary software that's made you a multi-billion dollar company, mm -hmm. The United States Constitution requires that you show it to the defense. And, and if it's so fucking great, why are you so scared to show it to us? Oh, it's proprietary. Right. We're not going to leak it. Don't insult me with that crap, man. I've been a criminal defense lawyer for a decade. I've never, I've worked on national security cases, all sorts of cases. My evidence doesn't leak. That's bullshit. But I know that if I see it, what I'm going to see is this heuristic guessing game crap and something that's never been peer reviewed and that you cut corners on because you wanted to make money. And that may have worked with all these other cases where you got corroborating evidence, but you don't have it here. Yet you've doubled down. And I would not be able to go to sleep at night knowing 
that my product had put an innocent man in jail, and he's been in jail now for a felony jail sentence waiting pretrial. This case pisses me off. They, they essentially created a bullshit product that doesn't actually work, and then they manufactured demand for that product through lobbying government officials. Mediocre product. It's a mediocre yeah. product that hasn't been peer-reviewed that requires external empirical validation. They even admit that. Because the thing about this software, and this goes back to the superstition thing, everyone's like, oh, computers are magic, right? Okay, a right. tracing software is not an ID software. But people do this psychological switch in their heads. they like, oh, they traced the transaction. That must mean they ID'd somebody. No, you've traced a fucking transaction on the blockchain. You don't know who's on the other side of that. And they even admit you need to have some kind of, you know, supposedly they catch Ross in the, you know, Alameda County Library with his laptop open. Right. right? In another right. case called Harmon, the guy took off his Google glasses because he's an idiot. He's wearing Google glasses. And he accidentally took a picture of the admin panel to the site that they prosecuted him for. You look at every other case, you will see a piece of corroborating evidence. And that calls into question to me how important chain analysis was to what actually happened here you don't like you just don't have any of that um and, and I, I invite people to look and tell me if you see something because everybody we bring in on this case we say please tell us if you see something that makes you think he's guilty tell us right away because we want to know um and everybody just works who works on this case just gets pissed off and works on it harder you know Yeah, I mean, I think in the Harmon case, the Harmon case, he pled guilty, right? The Helix. Yeah, all these cases um, are pleading guilty. No one's taking this. Ross, Ross pled guilty. He pled down. Ross went to trial. Ross, and then he uh, got. He uh, didn't plead guilty. They, I think there were negotiations, but it went. Uh, the trial was crazy. Um, they, uh, but no, he went to trial. So Ross is a good, there's like two, I think, total that went to trial. But um, Ross's problem, uh, and I talked to Ross, uh, um, was that they allegedly uh, nailed him in the library, like in real time. Um, but that just like sounds like, to me, that sounds like parallel construction. But I mean, we're not here to talk about the Ross case. Um, get started on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And you got yeah. the corrupt uh, government agents in Ross's case. You got like, you had two of them like dipping into the till. Right. Like, I, I don't. Yeah. And they got charged and, and convicted, I believe. Like, that's yeah. sealed yeah. and done. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, yeah. Ross. That's they, he's They got him out of the Supermax, right? Like, I heard that they'd been transferred. Like, he was, I talked to him when he was in the um, Supermax and, I don't, they so so i mean um i'm glad that we're going to have you speaking at bitcoin 2023 on the open source stage and present this story um but in 2021 we did the first interview of ross ever since he got arrested um at bitcoin 2021 in miami and they gave us full permission to do it we had to go through like a shit ton of hoops to get the interview it was a pre-recorded interview. As soon as we aired it on stage, they threw him in solitary as punishment. So they like they made us jump through all the hoops. They pretended it was approved and everything. And then as soon as it fucking went on, when when as soon as it got aired, they threw him into solitary. 
So there's so many shady, fucked up, vengeful things that happened in that case. And it's just a massive tragedy. In my opinion. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you're seeing that pettiness is very common in our prison system. Like, for instance, with Roman, they locked him up. The last time we were down there, we're going in and, you know, you go through and you're in there and you're emptying out your pockets. And one of us had a big mic and one of us had a pack of cigarettes. Right. And they're like, oh, you can't bring that in. OK, so we're like, cool. We, we lock it up in the locker. We go in there. We work with them. You know, it's a cigar. Right? Like you stay in this like hotel, you dump bodies in and then you, know, you go visit the prison because it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then we get this like email saying that we after we got back to New York saying, we uh, tried to smuggle contraband into the jail and that they were restricting our visits with him, uh, you know, to just like plexiglass things. Can't really like That's kind of shit they decide all the time. These tiny little things to throw up roadblocks and increase transaction costs, right? And then what? You could go see him. Yeah, right. Okay. I had to now go litigate all this bullshit about access to my client who hasn't been found guilty that you've been holding in a rural Virginia prison, you know, uh, like recording our phone calls, everything, right? Ugh, it's frustrating. But this beast the DOJ has gotten too big. And another part of the problem is, is that there's uh, more law enforcement agents than there are crimes. So you've got a bunch of people in an agency with a $42 billion budget some of whom who need to justify their existence. So they go looking for stuff. And they get criminal statutes that were modified in the 20th century that uh, give like a lot of latitude to prosecutors. So they just fucking start um, prosecuting away. I think your Bluetooth keyboard might be acting up again. Um, but we heard most of it. That's why I didn't stop you. Uh, I just want to say to the freaks again, to the, our audience, uh, this is a very important conversation. You know how I feel about remote conversations. I prefer to have things in person in the studio. Um, but it felt like this one time was of the essence. And it's important, regardless of the sound quality, uh, to get this message out there and get this out there. Um, on, I mean, on that note, like what what can Bitcoiners do? Like what you know, how, how can we help uh, Roman? How can we help you guys? Um, I mean, this seems, seems like one of the most important things that, that at least Bitcoiners in America should be concerned about and, and should be trying to help. And how, how can we help you? Oh, we lost it, Tor. Now we, now we can't Mike, hear you. you right oh, you're, you're back. You're back. back. Okay, continue. Yeah, continue. Like I'm in downtown Brooklyn, I, I pay all this money for my internet and I don't have shit. Um, one thing that would really help, like uh, we we need donations. Like we've I borrowed money, we're, we're out, uh, like we're behind on our rent working on this case. The government, uh, the court appointed us what's called Criminal Justice Act, which you kind of get some money, but um, because there's so many January 6th cases down there, they won't be able to process that paperwork probably until after the trial is done. Um, if you go to our website, which is just torecklin.com or on Twitter, you'll see, you know, you can get a link to it from my Twitter feed. Uh, feel free to donate because we'll use the money to defend Roman. Um, also, just raise awareness about it. 
and think about it. And if you see something that you think we may have missed or you've got, you know, some insight, we've found community input like extremely valuable. And we're really grateful to the community for being so supportive. Mike and I actually on Sunday, we're going to Europe to speak at a bunch of Bitcoin meetups because everybody's rightfully getting concerned. So it's raise awareness about it. Reach out to us if you see something, you know, if you see something, say something kind of thing. Um, you know, whatever you can do. We just appreciate the support. Yeah, so to the people listening, that's toreckland.com, T-O-R-E-K-E-L-A-N-D, toreckland.com. There's a link right there that, that says donate to support Roman. Um, and it looks like you guys accept both dollars and Bitcoin. Yep. Looking forward to the cluster that forms from that Bitcoin donation address you guys have right there. <laughs> They're watching us, and there was this funny moment. You know, we've, we've had this up this for a while. Great. And this there was great. this funny fucking moment where, uh, Mike, you want to tell it? Why don't you tell it, actually? Uh, yeah, so, so, so we're tracing down, you know, the government sees the accounts of the government, uh, at least can allege they're related to Bitcoin Fog, but Roman had other, other accounts. And they were just small accounts on, you know, small exchanges or wallets that he had just had since 2011 and now had accumulated to be, you know, enough money to be meaningful towards the case. So there was one wallet uh, called Jack's wallet and we were able to get the password and we were able to figure out how to get into it. And we get about, um, about $40,000, something like that in Bitcoin. And we transfer it to uh, the firm's wallet address. And we declare it on his financial statement. We do everything above board on how it's done. But the prosecution, not realizing that this was the transaction that we had claimed and made them aware of, they, in open court, start mentioning all the money coming into the case. All you got fifty thousand dollars in the last week or something like that, and it's like, well, yeah, that's Roman's own money that he's using to pay for what is way more than a fifty thousand dollar case. A case like this, to have experts and the lawyers and to run back and forth from D.C. go to rural Virginia jails. It costs about $1.52 million in total. And as that, but the government seized it from them, right? And it was just hilarious when it seems like every time they accuse us or something or bring it up in court, there's like this really mundane, innocent answer. And, and they just look terrible when they make these accusations against Roman, against us. You know, it's, it's kind of funny because there's been, there's been a couple of those moments where they say something like this and it, it just turns out to be so funny. I mean, it's not funny because um, it was locked up. Terrible. Yeah, it's fucked up, but it's uh, tragically mm -hmm. tragic, tragic comedy. Um, the Tra tragic comedy. I see so John I mean, here saying OG Bitcoiners with forgotten whole whole coin wallets. Yeah, that's exactly what Roman was. You know, he he got in when Bitcoin was thirty cents in two thousand eleven. So he might have put yeah. you know, a couple hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin or something, and then it's got some money and. He was trying to, it's yeah. really interesting when we look through the Kraken wallet, the history of the Kraken wallet, it becomes so apparent that it wasn't the proceeds of Bitcoin fog coming in. Well, you, you see a couple of transactions, you have a test transaction, you have like, like a large amount coming in, another large amount coming in for Bitcoin fog, and then you see him just living off of it. 
he's living off of his Bitcoin, just as he says his whole story is. And he tries trading it and you can trace the trades and you see, you know, he's making a little bit, but he's not really making any life-changing amount of money. He's mainly, his money's coming from the appreciation of the Bitcoin that he had accumulated long before, right from his paycheck. You know, you can see the, the story that Roman's telling us, how he was living off the Bitcoin and then wanted to find a job because he realized his Bitcoin was running out. You see that in the history of the Kraken accounts, the government is saying it's something totally different in Kraken. Um, yeah, so I mean, just for some context, like Jack's wallet was a really, really shitty, like uh, web-based wallet. So like you would imagine most uh, longtime Bitcoiners that were using Bitcoin way back in the day would, would use it with smaller amounts. So, I mean, obviously the amount now is larger, but at the time he was probably just using it with like, you know, spending cash or whatever. It was just like a, a small exactly. amount that he was kind of just putting there. And then you weren't really considering backing up well or whatnot. So it kind of just, I think we found like two time, and a half, Bitcoin in that one. but yeah. it was such a small amount that he had it. And it didn't even really register with him. Like when we're trying to figure out where all of his funds are, try to fund the case, like it didn't even register for it with him that he had a Jax account a couple months yeah. before he was sitting in jail he's like oh what about this jacks account and it was funny how the how the really prosecution true. misread that transaction so his main bitcoin wallets i mean just uh, we're going back now his main bitcoin wallets he had with him when he landed in lax and they seized those wallets or yeah the kraken it's a kraken oh, and account on, basically oh so it was i mean kraken super easy to seize you just like press a button it's like venmo or whatever in that regard mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the seizure yeah. Just add warrant. So on the yeah, go on. No, I was gonna say it's a little funny how the creator Kraken was actually also Michael Groninger, who's the creator of Chainalysis as well. Oh, I didn't know that. He was one of the co-founders. Yeah. Oh, I, everyone knows Jesse Powell, who I I mean I like. He's like pretty. I mean, uh, he's pretty principled in general historically. Uh, but I've never, I never knew the creator of Chain Analysis was one of his co-founders. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's fucked up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I we talk about on the show many times that a lot of these exchanges and they're all kind of in bed with each other. I mean, Coinbase has their own in-house product now that they sell to, um, they sell to all the government agencies, um, including ICE, um, mm -hmm. and it's. Uh, um so the your donation page um you have this fixed my, address. my twitter what you can find it at the top of my twitter as well well i have it on the stream right now toreckland.com i mean it's it's relatively easy to get to i think uh, any of the audience that wants to get there can get there um it's you're using a fixed address i mean i know i told you guys off the record that like uh consider me at your service um, in terms of feedback, uh, just to be aware, like a fixed address is, is incredibly poor for don donation privacy, as you said, with clusters and whatnot. Um, so, I mean, if you guys are interested in improving that receiving option, um, there's an open source project called BTC Pay Server that essentially every time someone donates, uh, they donate to a new address. Now that can still get clustered, but it's, it's strictly better. Um, and That's we can great. help you. We can help you with that. Um, Much appreciated. 
just because it's a very it seems very sensitive, a very sensitive case you know like we're like talking about how ridiculous all this shit is and then you just cluster and you're fucking ridiculous having to change it this is something i threw up this this morning like the, the fundraising honestly is like uh, it can be such a pain in the ass for these kinds of cases that like i, I you, you know yeah I sort of grudgingly do it because it, it like and that's what they're doing by seizing his money they're, right. they're trying to again increase the transaction cost so you can't work on the case substantively and i and i joke but sometimes i feel like you know george lucas trying to make the empire strikes back or uh, you know, producer of an independent film. I'm just running around trying to fund the movie, and you know, at the same time, you got to do this mountain of substantive work, and it's um, again a reason why most people end up taking pleas because right. there's not there's not a lot. Like when we got this case, to a couple other it had been through a couple federal defenders, and when we got this case, everyone was throwing them under the bus. No one was looking at the blockchain. Nothing. Yeah. I asked the government, I said, well, can I see the blockchain forensics? And they said, you're the first person to ask us for that. Okay. <laughs> right? Like, up, okay. Yeah. You know, like, uh, um, like, the and what you see, I think, really in the discovery, and this goes back to what you were asking about earlier, um, you know, what did they, what did they produce and, and not really shit, right? We really don't have shit. We got a bunch of spreadsheets, speculations, a couple printouts from Reactor, none of the inputs, really. It's a mess. What it looks like to me is that they just expected this to go to plea and that they were certain that they had the right guy. And then they arrest him at the airport and they catch him with all his, you know, uh, computers and hard drives and everything. And there's this wah, 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 wah moment, right? So, but they they doubled down, right? And then they're ready to get the Romanian servers, right? And then you see they get the Romanian servers. And again, it's wah, 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 wah. But everyone's too far in. They've spent too much money. They've built and sold companies. They've you know, launched careers. They've hyped this stuff that nobody's willing on their side to admit that they just got the wrong guy. They fucked up. And yeah. fortunately, something called a fucking They're too deep now. They don't, want too to, deep, man. they don't want to be exposed. Yeah. If you're so fucking sure of your work, show me your fucking source code, punk. Hundred <clears throat> percent. Well, look, guys, I support your fight. Uh, it's an important fight. Um, to, the, to anyone listening who wants to accept Bitcoin donations, I have an episode dedicated to it. Seal Dispatch Fifty Seven. Um, the three of us will talk off air um, about that. Um, before we wrap up, I, I like to I like to end with final thoughts. Um, for our audience, um, this has been a great conversation. Um, Michael, let's start with you. Final thoughts. I mean, I'm hoping that we can get him out. You know, it's, it's terrible to be talking to someone on the other end of the phone and going to visit him in prison, knowing that he's innocent, seeing where he's sitting. You know, it's, it's heartbreaking to see that. You know, and knowing that, knowing all that we know. It just makes it even worse. Knowing the profit motives distorted the, the concept of justice in this case, which happens way more often than it should, if at all, you know. Just, uh, it's a very American prosecution, if you ask me. Yeah, that one hits home hard. Um, Tor, thanks, Michael. Tor, final thoughts. 
Did we lose you? I love it. We lost him on final thoughts. <laughs> Um, while we're seeing if Tor joins back, I'll do the final thoughts for him. Uh, you can donate to support this uh, legal defense fund at toreckland.com. That's T-O-R-E-K-E-L-A-N-D.com. Um, oh, I think he just came uh, back. You there with us, Tor? Yep, oh, and he's gone. Um, he's probably <laughs> getting hacked because uh, happens all the time. fighting an important case. Um, we're constantly setting off hackers at this firm. But we have got you could <laughs> tell Tor offline uh, that we wrapped it up strong for him. Um, but that's toreckland.com, T O R E K E L A N D.com. Uh, as they said, they will be presenting at a bunch of different meetups and events in Bitcoin land, um, including Bitcoin 2023. They will be on the open source stage. Show them some support, um, give them feedback, give them help. Uh, I'm at your service, Michael. Um, you can share that. We appreciate, with we appreciate well, everything you do. We appreciate everything um, you do. Love this podcast. Cheers to that. And uh, we'll talk about the donations uh, at some point. Um, well, anyway, um, with that said, this was a great dispatch. I want to thank our guests again for joining us. I want to thank the freaks for joining us in the live chat and for bearing with us with the audio difficulties. It was an important conversation. It's important that we truck through those. I know uh, some of you are now listening to this point in the podcast feed and saying, how did I have to deal with that in my ear? Um, but uh, I think it was worth it. And I hope you guys think it's worth it. Um, I want to thank everyone who supports the show. I want to thank everyone who supports this case. It's an important case. I want to thank everyone who joins us in the live chat. Thank you, Michael, for joining us. Please pass that along to Tor uh, when you talk to him. And uh, to everyone else, I love you all. Stay humble, stack sats. Thanks, Michael. Will do. Thank you very much. Let's free Roman. Free Roman. <laughs>